0: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles. And we just sat down for an interview that we've been wanting to do probably since July. And that is with the CEO of Climavision, Chris Good. So Climavision uh, came out of building in stealth to announce that they had just raised $100 million, which obviously caught ours and everyone else's in this region's attention. Uh, And we spoke about it on a Friday update of ours. And after speaking about it on that Friday update, we actually managed to get connected with Chris and his team. So this is an interview we've been really excited about ever since initially talking with them. Uh, And just to give you some insight on what they're building over at Climavision, they're essentially collecting weather data through building their own infrastructure and hardware, things like 3D radars that collect that weather data, partnering with the low earth orbit satellites uh, and then taking that data using machine learning and algorithms and artificial intelligence on it, and then uh, allowing it to be connected to other companies via API. So it's a very exciting company that's being built up in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was awesome to sit down with Chris and and talk about it. Yeah.
1: Chris is a Lexington guy. Uh, He made sure to make that very clear Uh, and he's the perfect person to start this company. So his background up until this point Whether it's with the Air Force, making sure that they had safe protocols and weather forecasting, because that's a very high stakes environment. Obviously, you've got military that need weather data. He's built weather data businesses, both on the hardware side and the software side, and done business development. So he's very well connected throughout the, the whole world. You know, he's bringing on talent from Australia and different parts of the world, and he's bringing them all to Louisville And that talent Right into a company being built in Louisville again, they raised $100 million. And that's just very exciting. And he's the perfect person to be doing it. Uh, so, yeah, this was a great interview. And we're looking forward to you all learning more. Yeah.
0: And before we dive in, we're just going to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterman. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode
1: 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high-growth companies, high-growth careers, and high-growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc. And their website is www.airwing.vc.
0: All right. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. We are sitting here with Chris Good in the Logic Building here in Gateway to Nulu, uh, which is a building we've been in several times for several different interviews. But each time I, th- I come, I'm just more impressed. I'm always <laughs> impressed with this building and we are probably in the comfiest setup. So thank you, Chris, for, for getting us set up here in the cafe. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you for joining us. We're very excited for this interview. So uh, let's go ahead and just start with telling us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, I'm really excited to sit
2: down with you guys for a variety of reasons. But one, I'm a Lexingtonian. So we love we, uh, that. We moved, uh, when I was young, my family moved from the Chicago area here when I was in, uh, to Lexington in first grade. So uh, I spent the bulk, the bulk of my upbringing in Lexington. I still refer to that as home, although we're here in Louisville right now. So again, excited to be with you guys and share a little bit of the story.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So we typically like to start off by just talking a little bit about educational background. And then uh, when we got on our intro call, one of the things that impressed me the most was your professional background and how it really qualified you to do what you're doing now. Uh, So talk a little bit about from your education all the way into some of your professional endeavors up to climate vision.
2: Sure. So um, I'd have to go back to my adolescence growing up in Lexington. I always loved aviation. And I actually started flying and taking lessons at Aerotech out there at Bluegrass Field when I was 15. And so it was through that experience that I developed a healthy respect and quite honestly a fear of weather because obviously uh, if you're flying an airplane, a little Cessna 152, you can get tossed around if you don't know what's going on with the weather. So that was kind of the start of everything. And my formal education is a bit of a hybrid. I actually have a journalism degree Hmm. from the University of Montana, and it was during my time in the Air Force as a weather forecaster where I kind of blended, if you will, these disciplines. And the journalism has been great for my career because a lot of my time is spent communicating, and so I often rely on both the spoken and the written word, so I find that to be a good combination for me. And then from a technical side, the Air Force really prepared me well for a career in weather, from a practical standpoint, you can't get anything better in terms of education. I mean, forecasting for uh, an aircraft and a pilot and what kind of conditions they can fly through is very real. It's high risk. It is high risk, you know. There's certain aircraft that are flown that literally cannot fly through icing or they will drop out of the sky because they're not equipped with de-icing equipment. That was a T-38, it's a training jet. So that experience was really valuable for me. And, of course, you're exposed to a lot of different technology during that. And I spent uh, a total of six years all in with the Air Force and the Reserves. And when I got out, I went into the commercial sector. And I worked for a company called Weather Services International, uh, which has now changed hands a number of times, and most people would know it today as the weather company in IBM business. So most of my commercial time... I had a lot of different roles. Some started with an applications engineering background where we were devising user interfaces for weather workstations for both kind of aviation applications and also media. And that was great because then I got to learn about kind of workflows and how people use things for forecasting in different sectors. So if I were to kind of condense that all down now in terms of what we're doing at Climavision, we service a number of different verticals, aviation included the government space, media, agriculture, energy. And all of these verticals are weather sensitive, but they all use weather differently and they apply it differently to their their different businesses. So uh, I guess the versatility in my background really served me well and kind of there's a
1: confluence of things that led me to starting Climate Vision. So through all that experience, what problem did you see that needed to be solved that you know, Climavision's filling the void for.
2: So my my most recent post before starting Climavision was CEO of a company called Enterprise Electronics Corporation. It's a company that just celebrated 50 years this year. Wow. So they've been around a long time. I was merely the latest steward of that business. And that business is primarily made up of radar manufacturing, weather radar manufacturing over that 50 years and developing systems of of varying kinds, but all weather surveillance and building out networks for foreign governments, Um, military here in the U.S., some applications there, and some single-use stakeholders. But what I found through my experience at EEC was that often the entities that were procuring a weather radar, they had that initial capital, which is always at least seven figures. And their environments didn't always allow them to properly maintain that system after they acquired it they may not have had the funding they also may not have had the sophistication or expertise on staff to maintain that equipment so what i would often see is us developing these incredible sophisticated high-tech systems installing them abroad and often they would just falter due to lack of maintenance no different than a, a car you might buy if you never change the oil Didn't change the tires. I mean, these radars are pieces of machinery. So that would also happen a lot. So that began uh, me thinking about ways where we could provide the value of a weather radar system, but under a different model. And that's part of what we're doing at Climate Vision because we now own the physical assets, the radars that we're rolling out. And then we monetize that investment through subscription services and, and, and agreements with the different stakeholders that find high value in
1: that data. So it's like weather data as a service, but you're maintaining the physical assets. Correct. The data is the really the valuable thing. And there's a massive upfront capital cost to collect the data. So before we get into deeper, what are some ways, because you know, weather data is some of the most valuable data in the world. You know People don't realize that they need it. All, a, a lot of apps just use it. They don't even realize sure. it. Yeah. So what are some uses that everyday people are coming across that they don't even realize maybe that you can shed light on? Well, I think the, the
2: prevailing general point about weather is it's becoming ever more important, right? So with, with the changing climate that we're having, right, there's an increase in volatile weather events. There's an increase in both the frequency and also the severity of it. I mean, and there's clear numbers that substantiate that. If you look back at the numbers from 1980 to now, so for over 40 years, you can see a steady ramp in billion-dollar disasters that are occurring in the U.S. alone, but certainly across the globe. And so with the increase in the severity and the frequencies of these events, you've got companies, communities, governments that are grappling with how do I I mitigate the risks of these types of events, knowing that you can't stop them. You need better predictive solutions to allow you more time to prepare for them. And that's the way you can try to try
0: to mitigate the impacts of, of a
2: changing climate.
0: Yeah, and talk a little bit about, you know, how you guys are going about collecting this data, aside from just these radars that people might be thinking of. I know on our phone call you mentioned the low-Earth orbit satellites as well. So talk about all of this data you're collecting, how you're collecting it, and then what you guys do with it once you collect that data. Sure.
2: Yeah, so the radar piece is one pillar. It's an important pillar because radars provide both real-time insights to what's happening with the weather now, But that information can also be assimilated into our forecast modeling system to give you a very accurate, high-resolution, short-term, or kind of now-casting period. But the other data set that we're collecting by virtue of our partnership with a company on the West Coast that collects what's called radio occultation data from low-Earth orbiting satellites, this gives you vertical profiles of the atmosphere, which throughout history has largely been only collected through the launch of weather balloons or radio signs. And the temporal resolution for these balloons is very poor. I mean, and you have no coverage over oceans. Hmm. So now we're able to introduce this atmospheric, upper air atmospheric data set into our modeling that is global in coverage. You're filling in gaps between where these balloon launches are. So you have better temporal resolution because we're collecting these around the clock but better spatial resolution as well because it's also now over
0: many points on the globe. And talk a little bit about how you guys are going about monetizing it. I assume it's through an API, um, but talk a little bit about how your customers are actually working with you when they uh, work with you. Yeah, so the the delivery methods for the
2: information and the insights that we're creating, uh, you're right, primarily through APIs. We find that customers, regardless of the verticals that we've talked about, they often have their own environments where they want to plug in this information and and have it customized for their workflows and their applications. But we also have uh, other delivery methods through dashboards that we've created that are vertical-centric as well. So for energy, we have a product that allows an energy trader to display the types of model output that they need to make decisions about the types of trades that they'll be making in that space.
0: Yeah. Now that I'm starting to think about it and we're digging into some of this stuff it's becoming even more apparent to me, how important this would be for things like renewable energy, things like wind, things like solar, even things like the space industry, knowing when you can launch a rocket. And I think that's when you start understanding, uh, if we're wanting to rely on renewables, how important it is to understand what the weather's actually going to be doing. If that's, what's going to be producing our energy for us.
2: So Logan, that's a great point. And in fact, um, when you talk about energy right now i mean the buzzword around energy transition right everyone's talking about this but from a practical standpoint the only way you can transition to renewables is to have a better understanding of how much is available right so whether it's wind or it's solar or hydro if we're not better at predicting the availability of these resources then you leave yourself vulnerable when you start talking about grid optimization right so This just happened within the past month. In Europe, the wind stopped blowing. And Europe is heavily reliant on uh, renewables, even in their current state, and metrics for this. And it got so bad that in the UK, they had to spin up a coal plant to actually offset for the wind not blowing. So that's just one example of many. So we are really focused on being able to characterize the availability of these resources, but then also that, that's on the that's on the generation side. But then also, when you look at the energy market on the demand side, often the demand is driven by the weather. So if it's really cold, people are need more heating, and that drives a, a lot of uh, problems that can occur in the energy space. You don't have to look any further than last winter and what happened in Texas. And then when you talk about the shift to renewables, even in solar, right? So if you've got a steady period where you've got a lot of cloud cover, then that jeopardizes how much solar that you can produce. So we're finding that the services that we're offering, we're having a
1: lot of traction in this particular market segment, for sure. So this is, you said earlier you have kind of a global view with these devices you're deploying across the world. Are there parts of the world that have never had weather data that are now going to be turned on, or what are you seeing there? Like in different developing countries, is there going to be new uh, services or new abilities that these countries didn't have before that's going to you know kind of change what it's like to to live there or new, new industries might pop up there? What's it mean to turn on weather data somewhere that didn't have previously have access? So they'll have an improved
2: uh, outlook for weather by virtue of what we are doing. And I think that that can radically change some areas that are really relatively data sparse. I mean, there are countries around the globe that are in various various stages of development. There are some countries that don't have any weather radar. Yeah. So our ability to fill in with RO data in, in, the, in the modeling is going to have an impact. And then in our long-term plans, uh, we are certainly looking at selective regions of the globe where we can roll out radar as a service just as we are here in the U.S., here, it's a supplemental radar network.
0: There are areas
2: around the globe that would be the only network.
0: Yeah. And we were talking before we recorded. Uh, you know, you guys caught everyone by surprise when you came out with the news of, of the fundraise that you guys had, which was a really significant fundraise of, you know, $100 million. So, talk a little bit about why you guys were, were kind of building in secrecy there for a little bit, uh, and then kind of lead that into the competitive landscape of this uh, space that you're building in as well. Yeah. So, we actually saw it as
2: an advantage
0: to a lot of people have
2: referred to this as our stealth mode. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's probably appropriate. We didn't see a real advantage in talking a lot about what we were doing because there was some benefit to, to kind of surprising a lot of folks and there's an early mover advantage element to what we're doing. So that was the approach we took and I think it served us well. So we're out and running as of June and uh, trying to make up for lost time. Uh, and having a lot of conversations like we're having
0: with you today. So, mm-hmm. and how long had the company been uh, running, or how long have you been fundraising before you guys came public? A little over a year. A little over a year. Okay. Yeah,
2: and and during that time, there was a, there was the fundraising activity, and also just early stage development of some of the siting that we're we're deploying some of these assets. Kind of could do that in the background, and now we're more focused on the execution of that. And the
1: $100 million, I assume there's a high upfront, you know, capital cost to putting this together. This is for the physical infrastructure, the $100 million, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, a significant portion yeah. of it certainly is. I mean, that's one thing that we're very different than a lot of uh, early stage startups. The, the physical assets are a big part of what we're doing. So we needed the capital for that. And then there's a lot of uh, the typical overhead associated with any business. I mean, the people are critical. Uh, we have an outstanding team. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our scientific team is is top notch in their field in terms of numerical weather prediction, and a lot of very key strategic hires that were made on the technical side that'll um, be setting up our infrastructure our cloud hosted infrastructure is very robust It has to be we're bringing in a lot of data and we're not only are we uploading that data we are pushing that data back out to all of our customers and and that requires the utmost attention to efficiency, because part of the eloquence of our solution is the speed that we get information to
1: our customers. So talk about the makeup of you know, your investors. Uh, was it mostly just large institutions? Was it, so there some strategic investors? How did you go about picking who you know, got to be in a, on, a, on this uh, this early? Well, the capital raise was a
2: journey unto itself. I mean, we were doing the bulk of this activity during the teeth of the pandemic. And I mean, for the type of business that we're standing up, you've already mentioned it. The infrastructure is 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 a lot of capital cost, right? So we had a, a list of investors that we knew had the wherewithal and capabilities to partner with us on this. And ultimately we were were able to settle on, on this with TPG. And TPG has been the perfect partner for us for a variety of reasons. One a lot of capital to help us stand the business up to very committed to the climate tech space. About a month after we announced our investment with uh, TPG, they announced the launch of their climate fund. And in their first raise, they raised $5.4 billion. Was that the Rise? This is separate to the Rise. The Rise okay. fund is, is a fund within TPG. Okay. And the Rise fund is, is the investor in climate vision. Good, okay The climate fund that they subsequently launched is is separate to that. The chairman is Hank Paulson, and the companies that have joined that particular fund in that first raise are some of the you know the household names in, in, in this country. and many of them are uh, prospective clients of climate vision. So being a part of the TPG ecosystem has been a big benefit to us. They see us as a strategic investment and that very nicely aligns with both their emphasis on climate but also on impact investing. They're one of the pioneers in really refining what was once a notion of impact and social impact and environmental impact investing, and they really have made a science out of it. And that was part of the diligence that we went through and that was very helpful for us to kind of focus our thinking on how, I mean, beyond the commercial aspects of what we're doing, but the social and environmental impacts of
1: what we're doing. How did you label this this round? Like a hundred million dollars, you know, to, you wouldn't hear like, is it pre-seed? Is it, how did you guys, is there even a label for that? Uh, this was our series
2: seed series A round. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Typically on an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey, there's iterative steps, You start with your seed money and then you may bring in external investors and then you may bring some more. For us, we wanted to move quickly on all of this. so We kind of condensed that journey. Yeah. And of course you give up the equity that you have. Obviously that rapidly changes because of the speed at which you're moving. But the payoff on that is, is that we get to focus on the business and not have to
1: start and stop as a lot of businesses have to do to raise money. Yeah, I was just curious how that would be classified uh, because it's just such a big, you know, early round. And obviously, in order to have a a big round like that, you've got to have a lot of runway and a large TAM. So, how big is the weather market? Can you give us an idea of Um, what that is? For us, I mean, you're talking about a
2: six to seven billion dollar type of
0: market, Um, but it's growing substantial. I'm sure. And you kind of mentioned it there a second ago, the environmental impacts and a lot of talk right now is obviously on climate change and the environment. Uh, And, you know, I feel like a lot of us hear about climate change and we experience the weather, but for you guys, you're collecting that data and you're seeing the real numbers and, you know, the raw data that is what's actually happening out there. So talk a little bit about what you're seeing in that data, what worries you, Um, you know, if there's anything encouraging about it, uh, talk a little bit about what you guys are seeing. Well, I mean, like I said before, there there is no doubt that
2: climate change is occurring. People tend to want to politicize this topic a lot. It's not really—we don't focus on the question of why it's changing. We just know that it is. And, I mean, you just look at tropical storm development. It has become much more severe. And heating is is the reason why. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is is that the more the Earth-slash-atmosphere is warming, the more water content it can hold. And that leads to a, a lot of problems, right? So warmer ocean temperatures create stronger tropical s- storms. And a longer warming season extends the tropical season. So there's all types of effects, um,
0: and they are very real. Yeah, and where does... Climate Vision fit into all this with climate change. Are you guys planning on working with any researchers uh, with the data you guys are providing? What, what are your guys' plans for yeah. uh, trying to be a part of that? Uh, absolutely. There will
2: be a lot of research collaboration that we do to facilitate improvements in the methodologies in which we can determine uh, the types of storm developments that are happening and, and, again, how do we get better at predicting, right? That's, that's really a core principle. We'll work with universities on projects that will span radar science, new algorithms for radar that will help uh, identify storm developments and, and things that happen and dynamics within storms sooner mm-hmm. and automatically. And in terms of, of atmospheric modeling, a lot of new techniques that are being developed there. A lot of A lot of people want to talk about AI. AI is kind of inherent in what we are doing. It's a way for us to streamline complex processes and then produce outputs faster that we can then relay to our customers in various space.
0: I'm sure AI, as that space increases, I can only imagine that it'll just be a compounding effect as as it goes on. I mean, things like uh, what what OpenAI and GPT-3, and I don't know if GPT-3 is necessarily a, a use case for this, but I can just see so much going forward uh, with predictive analytics and things like that as, as AI increases. Um, but one of the places we kind of like to take the episode near the end uh, is turning it back on where you're building, which is here in Kentucky, here in Louisville specifically. Uh, so talk a little bit about why Louisville. I know that's a very flourishing startup ecosystem right now. So talk a little bit about why you guys chose to build here. Well, first of all, Louisville, as you know,
2: because you've said that you've done a lot of interview here, the interviews of late here, uh, it's a very vibrant startup community. The building that we're sitting in here has uh, a number of companies that were incubated here in Louisville. There's very good talent here. From our standpoint, there's a a pretty significant data science community here. I know one of your prior guests, Sean O'Leary, who started Genscape and then moved on and started Edge Analytics here. Both of those businesses, a lot of high tech a lot of data analytics going into the the core of what those companies produce. And the University of Louisville is producing talent in those areas. And I think Louisville has just completely been underestimated. and I think that part of of that is starting to be the the, the full opportunity that we have here in Louisville is starting to to have a little bit more light shown on it. And I couldn't be happier. I mean, as a as a Kentuckian, Uh, whether it's Lexington or Louisville or Moorhead, where you have exciting things happening. I take a lot of pride in this state. And when we started the journey of of creating Climate Vision, I knew that I wanted to start it here in Kentucky and here in Louisville because, let's face it, I had spent the bulk of my career creating businesses in other places. And that really drove me and wanted to do something special here. And I think that Louisville's A perfect place we have great in terms of weather uh you know the old joke about the ohio valley you know uh, if you want some different weather just wait a few minutes and it'll happen (laughs) and it's very true we get get the summer season we get a distinct winter season we've got you know very distinctive seasons here and I think that benefits us as well. It's good to have some versatility. And yeah, nobody knows what the hell's going on in
1: spring. You know, spring just <laughs> you never know, right? You never Look know what happens on Derby
2: Day. It's <laughs> yeah. it snowed
1: on occasion, right, on Derby. So you were talking earlier about uh, how talented of a team you've put together. Are most of the talent from out of state? Are they relocating? Are you finding a lot of the talent you need here? Talk about like the dynamic of whether you're doing remote work or you're requiring relocation. Uh, it's a real combination. I'll tell you this. I don't think there's
2: many companies that have a native Australian on their team. And I have one that's relocated to Louisville. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. uh, he's our <laughs> director of information technology. That's so awesome. We are very diverse. We have a set of employees on the R&D side that happen to be in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. We've got uh, administrative accounting, uh, our network operations, and, and information tech is here in Louisville you guys know this, it's a lot of companies have a distributed workforce now. It's more prevalent than it ever has been because of what happened with COVID. I do see benefit to having people in the office together, especially in a startup. But at the same time, I think we've done a very good job at kind of balancing where we have people, where we have a high concentration of the types of people that we need. And there's flexibility in that. I mean, I have employees that are in Australia. That's awesome. So uh, I think it serves as well, especially when you're in a
0: global business like we are. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, part of uh, helping the Louisville ecosystem flourish and even Kentucky as a whole is something I've been saying recently. Is I like thinking of it as the Kentucky startup ecosystem because we're not as big as the Nashvilles or the Indianapolis or you know some of these other regional hubs that we've got. Uh, part of what we like to do on this podcast to try and help the ecosystems continue to flourish is to give feedback. So we like hearing uh, what is the ecosystem doing well and what could imp- what could it improve upon? So talk a little bit about what is Louisville doing well right now in regards to the startup ecosystem and what could it be doing better? Well, I think it's all about
2: awareness and I think it's about connecting the established business community with the entrepreneurs. I think that's very healthy from a mentorship standpoint. And what I have seen in my I mean, let's be honest, my rather short sampling, right, since June here in Louisville is I've seen a growing trend in these types of things happening where there's connective tissue. Uh, Endeavor, another uh, prominent investment group here in Louisville um, and is a player worldwide, they're very active in creating opportunities for entrepreneurs, whether they have invested in them or not. They have I guess, in the truest sense of the word, invested in Louisville, and by virtue of that investment, they are constantly creating opportunities for entrepreneurs to get together um, with with business leaders in Louisville, and, and creating opportunities where you can kind of cross pollinate on ideas. And I think that's great. I mean, it's been it's been very
1: inspiring, quite honestly, to see that here. Yeah, love to hear that. I saw a stat. I think it was today of how successful Endeavor is at investing. It's up there with like the top five firms in the world that you know of sequoia tiger uh i forget the other two but they're yeah, top five excel like, i was up, gonna i was up gonna up try quick, to pull it up real can. quick if, uh, yeah okay so
0: i sent this in our slack today so endeavor is ranked third behind tiger global which is massive SoftBank, which everyone yeah. knows about they're in front of sequoia and then also in front of excel uh, and it says here 23 unicorns funded which is mm. wild so I love that I love what you're what saying. What they do about so
1: well with is they're fostering these ecosystems and finding these entrepreneurs early. Exactly. Helping them grow, understanding their business, and then they know hmm. when's the right time to invest. Is this an investable company? Yeah. You know, they've just got the whole they've got the pipeline. Yeah. That's what they've got. And uh, you know, a lot of these other VCs like Sequoia and Excel and uh you know, Softbank and Tiger normally come in later. But there's a lot of VCs that have great pipelines, but that just shows Endeavor probably has one of the best, if not the best. Pipeline. Yeah.
0: This uh, this also shows the percentage of in early, which I assume means just in capital in early in the in the business's lifecycle. And they are 43% of their investments are in early, looks like. So just a, l- a little
2: backstory for you. So uh, on the Endeavor board is the edge from U2, on the TPG board is Bono from U2. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very small world, and uh, there is some. Uh, I guess um, uh, I, I guess in the family there between the two, uh, the two firms, between TPG and
0: Endeavor. I love it. Well, as we wrap things up here, we always like talking about uh, a forward-looking statement, the future of the company. So talk about where you see Climavision going into the future.
2: Well, I see a rapidly uh, accelerating and growth-oriented company. I think that we've entered the space at the perfect time in terms of the need for the information that we're providing and the confluence of the quality that we can provide by virtue of some of the things that we're doing in terms of additive data sets. You also have these emerging markets that are driving additional demand for information. We hadn't touched on this yet, but when you think about drone delivery services, all of these drones are flying at lower levels of the atmosphere, which is where we have the most acute problem in terms of being data void. Mm. So we're filling those gaps and we're just like I feel like we're going to be able to fundamentally enable the energy transition in many respects, I think we can enable a lot of the companies that are in uh drone delivery services or uh, the, the air taxi industry, which is really
1: starting to make some moves yeah, I'm, I'm starting so sure. to see if that I'm trying to understand if that's actually like a real thing or not i'm seeing a lot of funding get behind it, so that says like there's definitely some momentum. But you know, people have been saying that air taxis you know, aren't just aren't <laughs> it, feasible because of the amount of energy it takes to get up and then go. That's like one of Elon Musk's things. But it's going it's to happen. Is it? it is absolutely going to happen. But it can't happen
2: if we're not providing better weather information at the lower levels because they're going to be more susceptible to weather. They're going to be lighter aircraft. I mean, drones are mm. you know dramatically impacted by the slightest <laughs> of winds, and if you have even a mist. With potential for icing, you know, that creates a real hazard for drones. So I think that's one of the other tailwinds that we have in the business is, is that all of these business verticals that we've talked about have always had a need for weather, but now there's yet new sets that are emerging. And when you combine that with the fact that the weather is becoming more problematic, I I think that bodes well for us in terms of how we can contribute to the equation and enabling some of these
1: businesses. So speaking about AI, you know, Tesla's known for vertical integration. That's part of their whole strategy. They've got the hardware piece and that gives them an advantage on the data side of things to collect data and then use it for their AI. And do those things kind of in tandem at the same time. You guys are building out the hardware side. Do you guys also plan to build out the AI, hire the AI uh, professionals, the data scientists in house and build those algorithms? Or is that gonna be, hey, we're just providing the API Let's let the industry do its thing and the market do its thing and other people can use these models to create good good algorithms. Or do you plan to bring that in-house? We will do all of that organically. That is a major strategic
2: focus for us. Our director of information technology likes to say part of our value prop is, divide, d- is derived from being closer to the metal, much like Apple, right? So we feel like having control of the end-to-end spectrum of tech that we're deploying is very important to what we're doing. I think we touched on this earlier, but the speed at which we process the information and push that back out is really critical. So you have the qualitative aspect of what we're doing and improving the outputs for modeling, but the speed at which we do that is very important as well. So we want to control that entire experience.
0: So we will be doing that internally. Yeah, that's great. I love the, uh, just the thought of these new and emerging technologies that are going to come out it's exciting to think about them in general but somebody's got to be thinking about the other implications of how do we make sure these things are safe and reliable and predictable um, so that's that's an awesome statement for sure well we're definitely rooting for you we're we're so excited to to see the amount of funding you guys have raised and the uh, the amount of success you guys are having so far um, before we let you go we usually like letting you kind of give a plug for your uh, if you guys are hiring anybody or if there's a website you want to drive people to to learn more, uh, just kind of talk about where people can find you in general.
2: Uh, thanks for that. Yes. Uh, so you can find out more about what we're doing at Climavision.com. We have a number of hiring initiatives, initiatives underway right now. The posting that we actually just put up within the past couple of days is, for a, is an account executive to work in our insurance and reinsurance business vertical. And then uh, within the next couple of days, we'll be posting one for the transportation market as well. So um, those would be the most immediate opportunities. But I would say that given the, the scope of hiring that we're going to be doing in the coming months, that people should just routinely check our website and find us on LinkedIn, obviously, uh, where a lot of our activity is posted as well. Awesome.
0: And I wanted to thank you
2: guys for making the drive up uh, 64
0: to see us tonight. It was absolutely worth it. This was just an awesome place to be. We're so kicked back and relaxed here. This is one of my favorite spots to interview for sure. So this was great. Thanks again for coming on. You're most
1: welcome.